the weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. And since we've no place to go, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. What is up, Internet? Welcome to the party, pal. My name is Matthew Kroll. And if you're the kind of guy I think you are, you'll know when to shut up, when to listen, and when to pray. Your name is Shahir Dad. I, I am Shahir Dad. <laughs> this is the only podcast about movies. I knew I knew when I should say something. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So that, that worked. Good. Yeah. And if you haven't figured it out, first of all, happy holidays and welcome to the only podcast about the film Die Hard. Merry Christmas. Merry can Christmas. We, can we say Merry Christmas or we post Merry Christmas now. You can like, say Merry Christmas. You can say Happy Hanukkah. Um, yeah. Happy Kwanzaa. Is it? Kwanzaa. And then what else? Uh, what other seasonal? Solstice-based religious I'm experiences are there. Agnostic. I'm just like happy, happy get- annual, happy annual <laughs> gift-giving day. Happy annual get drunk day. Eggnog day. Happy. Um, I love eggnog. Eggnog's dope. I wish I had eggnog. In lieu of it, I'm drinking whiskey. Whiskey. You can uh, put whiskey in eggnog, right? Uh, you, is there? Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. You can. You can. I don't like alcoholic eggnog. You here. don't like alcoholic. Eggnog? No, it just, it just, it does, it cuts it the wrong way for me. So Christmas for you is an alcohol fueled fun day when you sit down with your family to watch. Die Hard. Yeah, yeah, and that's basically. I mean, Shahir, we are we're film family. Yeah, whether you like it or not, it's you and me, buddy. And and uh, are we brothers? Are we mom and dad? Are we? I think we're mom and dad, and I think that is very fluid. Right. Okay. Um, gender fluid. Yeah. So I, I think that's how it works. I think that's the dichotomy. And I think <laughs> for this film, oh, I I came to you. Yeah. And I said I wanted to do a Christmas movie. And originally, I had pitched Jingle All the Way, to which oh, you... are like, no, no, I'm not. Look, I get the kind of irony of, like, a bad movie being fun, but... I, I love Jingle All the Way. This that, is not that podcast. Right, we're not doing Jingle All the Way. I know. Just kidding, we are! No. Uh, <laughs> switcheroo! But this is our Christmas gift to you, dear listener. That's right. This is, uh, if you're having a tough time today, if it's been a rough year, 2016 has been... One for the one, one for the history One book. long day for John McClane. Um, if that's been your jam, we want to share an experience with you, and that experience is Bruce Willis jumping off a building. I gotta say, <laughs> Die Hard is is while Jingle All the Way is my is my favorite Christmas movie. I do think that Die Hard is the best Christmas movie. What uh, listeners, if you could uh, write us in and tell us what your Christmas movie favorites are. Oh yeah, and what you got for Christmas, and what you got for Christmas, that'd be great. What you can... movies you got for Christmas? Oh yeah, what movies do you give people for Christmas? Oh I've always, yeah. You know the funny thing is, as a guy who is on the record as loving movies, I think I've only ever been given the gift of movies once. Really? Yeah. What was it? It was Jamaica Inn, okay. an Alfred Hitchcock movie, and All Foreign right. Correspondent. My my mother went to Australia and she found VHS copies of those two movies and gave them to wow. me. Wow. Yeah. Oh All no right. no. Yeah. As, as for Christmas gifts, I've only ever been given given movies once, and like for me, that's a pretty easy gift. I feel like when people buy me gifts, there's two mm. defaults: a Blu-ray or a DVD, right? Of basically anything, because I will take it and I will love it, right? Uh, or anything Spider-Man. Uh, so anything, Spider-Man on Blu-ray I mean, is like that. I mean, I, I honestly, I probably have four copies of the original <laughs> Spider-Man film on Blu-ray. Yes. If you would like to send Matt yeah, Spider-Man keep, on keep Blu-ray, keep sending me them. Get, well, you know, what we got to do. Yeah. We got to get a PO box. Right. No, well, people can just send you like an iTunes copy. No, no, no. I know that. But like something that a lot of podcasts that I really enjoy do is they get a P.O. box and people just send them random shit. <laughs> now, uh, now, I don't want random shit from you, dear listeners, but like sometimes there's a lot of funny jokes and fun things that could be had and we could talk about things uh, that are sent that are movie based. Are you just trying to get free swag? 
not swag. <laughs> no, no, maybe you're confusing me. These things aren't things you really want right. normally. It's just an interesting touching point on to going on to topics. In lieu of a P.O. box, you can send us an email about the things you would, the shitty gift that you would send us yeah. uh, at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com. Hit us up on Twitter at onlymoviepod or go to our website, onlymoviepodcast.com. But if you don't have a gift, uh, this is our gift to you. It's Die Hard. Movie by John McTiernan. Yeah. By uh, starring Bruce Willis. Yeah. And Alan Rickman. Yeah. And it's set at the Nakatomi Plaza. Oh yeah. This, I, uh, wait, before we do that, I, okay, 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 let's let's no. let's talk, let's break down Christmas movies. Cause I know <laughs> there, there is there is the meme, you know, there are people that think Christmas uh, that Die Hard is a Christmas movie, and there are people that are just wrong about everything. Yeah. yeah. Um I actually so on rewatching this, I was like, I actually don't think this is a Christmas movie. It is 100% a Christmas movie. I think it takes place on Christmas. So to me, what a Christmas movie is, is something that embodies the spirit of Christmas, the, the spirit of hope and joy and optimism. This whole movie and, is hope and, and there, optimism. There, there is one scene in this film that has that in it, and we'll talk about it a little bit later. Although I don't know, I don't know if we need to do spoilers or anything. No, but, if you haven't seen Die Hard, stop this and go see Die Hard. Yeah, yeah. But but I I actually do think that that Christmas movies, if we're gonna break it down by criteria, movies that are Christmas movies at the very core of them. To me, like one of the the fundamental Christmas movies is It's a Wonderful Life. That's a movie I watched every year. That's only because fun. it was on. No, no, no. I would buy. I bought it and and would watch it. Well, every that's year. silly because it's always on. You know why I did that? Because it wasn't always on in New Zealand. Like uh, I, the reason I did that is it's a, I picked it up as an American tradition because I used to watch National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation before, and they would always watch It's a Wonderful Life in National Lampoon's, and he was always pissed off that It's a Wonderful Life was on. Right. So that's where I picked up the tradition. Oddly, the tradition also included Texas Chainsaw Massacre. For some reason, I that's I would do a double hitter. Of, this is explaining a lot <laughs> about you. A lot about me. Um, but uh, so so I think it's a wonderful life. Is kind of a great Christmas movie. What are your What are your Christmas jams? I mean, obviously, Jingle All the Way. I think National Lampoon's is wonderful. I, I like a lot of movies. See, this is the thing. I don't think the movie has to be about like. Well, I think it has to. The, no, it doesn't have to. What I think. Well, about, here's the here's the thing. Let's look at let's look at um. Let's look at um. It's a Wonderful Life. Real right. Quick, okay. Uh, does that really have to do with Christmas or an existential crisis that a guy is having around Christmas? But it what the 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 resolve of that movie is around the spirit of a, the spirit of Christmas. No, it's about it's about the, so the spirit I, of a human life and how much it means. Like, it, it really doesn't have a lot of Christmas to it. Well, you know, it's the ghost of three. You know, th the three. Not Christmas is past, you know the the old Scrooge story. Sure, Christmas Carol. It, um, but it, it it's, I think it I think the end of the film is about the spirit of giving that comes with Christmas. I think and it's it more takes, about the strength of a human life. I don't it, think it takes place on Christmas. No, I, mean, I know, but this it, takes place on Christmas. But the thing is, here's the thing: is I don't think that this movie is about the spirit of Christmas. I think it's, I think it takes I don't place think, on Christmas. I don't think, uh, I don't think it's a wonderful life is technically about the spirit of Christmas. Really? Yeah. Really? I think, okay, look, wow, if we're looking, a, if we're a, looking at the spirit, one. if we're looking at the spirit of Christmas, let's see if we can think of a film that embodies the spirit of Christmas. I mean, I think it's, it's a wonderful life for me is, is uh, the one. I'm trying to think like, well, love okay, actually, you know love actually. How about uh, that? No, that's a recent one. Uh, uh, no, but let's leave the weapon like all the Shane Black movies. Listen, as as uh, yeah, well, the Nightmare Before Christmas, uh, Iron Man three. Yeah. Um, well, so <laughs> Home well, Alone, Nightmare Before. Well, okay, Home Alone two. But I was gonna say no, Lost Home in Alone New York. One. I know. Yeah. Uh, the this is what I'll say. Let's go back to Jingle All the Way because Jingle All the Way, as a atheist, <laughs> admittedly, I've only seen that movie once. Is a long exactly. Time ago. 
basically what Christmas is about. The good and the bad. Basically, it's about the 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 consumerist hunt for a toy that you've built importance around and lied to your child and said you'd get. But in the end, the spirit of Christmas takes over and gets the kid. Like, it's about a father trying to live up to his son, right? Here's the thing. If you want the spirit of Christmas, is the spirit of giving, right? No, I don't think it's the spirit of giving. Well, it I is. Think it, I that's can, the only way I can relate it to Jingle no, that, All the that's, Way. That's because the consumerist the, version of Christmas. I think, I think ultimately the Christmas... Well, giving was, of yourself, giving of, giving of your time, giving of your love. I think it's also like when miracles happen, you know? Like, it's, it's the embodiment of, of the goodness of the world coming to play in, in a person's life. And that's, that's why I think It's a Wonderful Life is, is a Christmas movie. That's why, actually, if, I, if I'm only framing Christmas movies that way... And I, if I frame it that way, I don't think Die Hard is a Christmas movie in that sense. I'm sure people, because it takes place on Christmas Day or Christmas Eve, you can watch it as a Christmas movie. I'm not saying that what Shahir says is the absolute truth. I'm just saying that if, if we're going to like try and come up with a with a paradigm for which to fr- like sure. view Christmas movies, that's what I would say a Christmas but movie should be. But I would say that both It's a Wonderful Life and Die Hard are <laughs> testaments to the human spirit. I, now they're a, told very different ways. There's one scene which I think is the testament to the human spirit in Die Hard. What scene is it? Are we gonna, you can it, say it's, no, we don't it's the go. very it's like the second to last oh, scene. Oh, then all right. Well. You know, like so I don't want to give it away right sure, now. Don't we're give gonna, it away. We're, we're gonna come. Don't to spoil it. Die Hard. Yeah, I'm not gonna spoil Die Hard. I just he think, doesn't die, and it's not hard. I just think a lot of people die hard. Uh, I just <laughs> think hard. that um that if a movie takes place at Christmas, it is a Christmas movie. And like I just watched Just Friends. Have you ever seen that? The Ryan Ryan uh, Reynolds and Amy Smart. It was a comedy. It was like a romantic comedy. Ooh, uh, uh, I used to really like make it. it on my list. I was I was making cookies today. Okay, and look at you. Uh, I was watching that in the in the meantime, and it's funny because I remember liking it when I was a teenager, and obviously it, it it's one of those comedies that sort of like it takes that that's a movie that like I couldn't even equate to Christmas at all, and actually it falls into a lot of like it, I was noticing like they use a lot of language and shit that just is not fucking like good right uh, and i'm watching i'm like they shouldn't be good throwing that shit yeah. around uh not poorly written but just bad choices due to context um so like those are type of movies that like fall off and whatnot but things like die hard things like um I mean, but, like, but that's i mean it's, i think that's a christmas movie it's just not a good one like like i don't like i don't love love actually but like that's the Christmas movie that you know for recent years that people seem to love. I guess. A lot of people don't like It's a Wonderful Life. I just think It's a Wonderful. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life is admittedly every time I watch It's a Wonderful Life, I'm like, this is a long, long fucking movie. Well, yeah, because it is. But every time I get to the end, I'm like, it really is a wonderful life. <laughs> okay, well every time every I, time I get to the end, time time to the end of Die Hard, I'm like, I'm just fucking pumped for Christmas. <laughs> I'm ready to die. Hard. No, it's not about the title. It's about <laughs> John McClane fucking giving the gift of stopping terrorism. All right, let's do some. Let's do a quick. Let's do a quick overview. Obviously, Matt being Matt, sure. I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say you fucking love Die Hard. Oh, I love Die Hard. But interestingly enough, interestingly, uh, I don't actually. I don't know if this is interesting. I'll take that back. Uh, as growing <laughs> Nothing up, we've said is interesting. No, growing up, I I had not. I didn't see Die Hard till I was in college. Really? Yeah, I was a Lethal Weapon kid. But that doesn't like I know, oh, watching I know. only Lethal Weapon doesn't preclude for whatever, you. That's for whatever not how reason, movies work, by the way. No, but in my in my head, a lot of times, weirdly, it sort of does. So, for instance, <laughs> I, so you only watch Lethal Weapon. You don't go to Terminator. In your mind, Lethal Weapon is the only movie that exists up until college. Lethal Weapon and Die Hard, I feel like, hit a lot of similar like feels. Right. Um, not like emotions, but just like they're just sort of like it's the it's the action movie of the sort of every man, but it's funny. Right. Uh and for whatever reason, 
I had just seen all of the lethal weapons and someone had described to me what Die Hard was and said, oh, it's kind of like Lethal Weapon. And I was like, oh, okay. Right. And I just didn't, I wasn't a huge Bruce Willis guy. Like, it just never clicked until I saw it. And I think Die Hard is a better film than Lethal Weapon. Huh. I haven't watched Lethal Weapon 1 in a long time. It's rough. Like, this is something I want to say about Die Hard, and we'll get into it in a little bit. Die Hard, surprisingly, for its dated technology and blah, 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 blah. Oh, it holds up so well. There's one one scene in this movie which I think doesn't hold up. Yeah, and and, and it's it's shocking. Like, I I was watching it expecting to, like, chuckle more at the times, and I really didn't. No, 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 Um, no. So, I mean, I haven't really had a long history with that. I probably watched Die Hard when I was, like, 21, 22. Right. Okay. So what about you? How did how did you come to this? So I watched Die Hard as a kid. I watched it very very young, like I, inappropriately young, and I watched Lethal Weapon inappropriately young too. And me and my best friend Gary Rowe um, from shout out Gary. Yeah, shout out Gary. I don't think he listens to the podcast, but well, maybe. what the f- oh, is your best friend? He doesn't listen to the podcast. Best friend from back then, you know, like he lives in another country. Former now. best friend. Yeah, former Gary. BFF. Write in if you listen and <laughs> tell Shahir what's up. Well, but we used to like. The, what we used to do is we would go to each other's house and we'd have, and inevitably we'd have some plan to do something that day, but we inevitably we'd just watch a movie and it would always be something that we, uh, we had recorded off TV on VHS oh, yeah. and there was a cycle that. of them and it was lethal weapon Two, <laughs> die hard Two for yeah. some reason. Yeah. Uh, white men can't jump. Terminator two. All the Terminator, you know, like all white the, men can't jump too. White men can't jump too. White men can't jump as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, but I, I, I think we had Die Hard as well. So we had Die Hard one and Die Hard two, and we would watch those in sequence. Sure. I believe, or at least I, I seen Die Hard many times, many, 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 many times. Um, as as I got older, I haven't watched it, revisited it much. But the thing for me is, I think I know Die Hard two is not seen as like the great sequel. Right. It's directed by um directed by Rennie Harlan. Um, and you know, like people laugh on Rennie Holland, he directed the uh, cliffhanger, uh, the long kiss goodnight. You know, he's kind of like a, he's kind of like the cheap imitation of John McTiernan who sure. directed Die Hard. But Die Hard three, when I saw that in a theater, that blew my fucking mind. I thought I, I, I still to this day, I'm not sure that any number three of a franchise is that good. Die- not, not counting the Cornetto trilogy. I agree. Yeah, but in a I sequence, know, yeah, know. yeah. I don't. I'm. I'm still kind of like not sure if the third movie in any franchise is as is as good as Die Hard with a Vengeance. Now, Live Free or Die Hard and Die Hard, those are hot garbage. No, they are disagree. Really? Well, here's the really? deal. Here's the deal. I think Live Free or Die Hard is awesome. I think the fifth one is hot garbage. So Live Free or Die Hard is the computer one? Yeah, the fire sale. Everything and, must go. Oh, God, I hated that. That was that to me felt like people who didn't understand what the internet was and like decided to make a movie about you it. Got it. You got to look at it from- And it was like cyber John McClane. And like, what does John no, McClane have to do with this He anymore? doesn't. This is the whole thing that was great about it. He was a fucking fish out of water and he was like getting too old. They didn't quite understand things. and like too old for this shit. Well, no, that's Lethal Weapon. I know. Uh, but like, I, I really liked it. I felt like it was sort of a, a fresh take on it. Five- with his fucking his son, son, Jay Courtney. And I was like, oh, God. No, oh, but the thing God. Is, and so watching those, I mean, I have seen. Four those. had a plot that made sense, even though it was. Oh, it, listen, listen, listen. Oh, the God. plot in the world they set up. You know I'm about world building. And the plot oh, that they set up, God. Live Free or Die Hard, made sense. Listeners now, write in and explain the plot. It's been a while since I've seen it, but I remember it being hot garbage. Five. <laughs> was it just called Die Hard Five? A Good Day to Die Hard. A Good Day to Die Hard. Ugh. Ugh. Um, my point look, is, my I'm, point is that movie had literal huge plot holes about why John McClane was where he was 
and I was just like, "What the fuck are you he was doing?" In Russia at that time, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. So, I mean, that, that was the th- that's the problem with me for Die Hard is that they traditionally, you know, like you should end on the third one. Die Hard with a Vengeance was the third one, and Die Hard with a Vengeance brought back Hans Gruber's family into the plot, into the into the thick of it, and it was great. It's amazing. I was like, "Man, just stop here, please. Just just stop what yeah. you're doing." I mean, I would have been happy with that too. Um, because, you know, like I say, people don't seem to like Die Hard 2, but I actually, I really like Die Hard 2 because Die Hard 2 is the antithesis of Die Hard, which is that the uh, the villain character is not trying to make money. He's actually trying to, uh, uh, you know, he actually politically believes. Um, what I love about Die Hard, okay. the, the film that we're actually doing, yeah, is the terrorists as you're watching it, Hans Gruber and, and his mm-hmm. band of merry men, I think there's 12 of them, correct? Yeah. Uh, the spirit of Christmas. Yeah, the spirit of Christmas. Uh, they, they, Their motives are cloudy for a while until revealed, even though they're saying one thing, they mean another, and they just want money. They have no political agenda, and yada, yada, yada. And I thought when I first saw it that that was super fucking cool. Yeah. And like now even watching it again, I was like, yeah. like. So so here's a couple of things that I think are really interesting. Um in, in respect to that. So one of the guys, uh, filmmakers I've been really on a kick about recently is Asghar Fahadi. I talked about him last year. Iranian filmmaker, directed a separation, directed a film. I, I would argue it's probably the best film I've seen this year, even though it's a few years old. It's called About Ellie. It's on Netflix. Please go watch it. What was amazing about that film, and this is going to relate to Die Hard in, in a second, is that it's a, such a great example of setup and payoff. Like everything in About Ellie and a separation is set up and payoff. You know, like, he sits, he, he'll, he'll do something that's completely throwaway at the beginning of the film. And, but like, you know, three quarters of into the film that becomes huge. And what I was watching Die Hard again, I was like, I would, I would make the argument that the, that the genius of Die Hard in, in an action film sense is that it is all story. It is not going for thrills. Um, I mean, it inevitably has some because big things happen, but it never feels like this film is trying to show off how cool we can make things, which is something that happens in uh, Live Free or Die Hard, where the, you know, like all of a sudden John McClane is ducking, is taking out helicopters with cars. Um, God, I fucking love that. that. I hate that shit. And and that. that that to me is like a trailer moment, and that's not something that happens in Die Hard. Now you could argue the scene where he where he jumps off the building is kind of that scene, but it's still. It feels organic to the plot, and it's set up entirely in the world of that film. This is a movie where action happens. The the action isn't the reason the movie happens. Exactly. The story is set up. And, like, it it starts right at the beginning because the very first thing that happens in the film is he's on a plane to L.A. He hates flying. So we know we know immediately this guy's afraid of heights. Um, the second thing that happens is the the passenger next to him says, when you land, you know, if you, if you don't like flying... What you should do when you land is take your shoes off and, and scrunch up your feet like uh, like fists. Make fists, yeah. And, and that and that that one line, which happens like I think two minutes into mm-hmm. the movie, is a major plot point throughout the rest of the film. Because he's not wearing shoes, which I love. And and what I love about that then is then we it's all character building from that point. Like we get to see John McClane is a guy who carries his gun. He's a cop. Um, he he's kind of a wisecracking guy. And the thing that that's really interesting about him is he walks into the room and he walks into into Nakatomi Plaza. He meets um, his wife, Holly Gennaro's um, mm. boss. God bless. And and the thing that's really cool is like, you can tell this is a guy. I meant Holly, not the boss. But, oh, right. I Bonnie, mean, well, you know, I, I mean, yeah. Uh, uh, but, but, but the guy who plays his boss, the Japanese uh, uh, chair of Nakatomi, yeah. he's, in, he's, he's a cop from New York and who's just been driven in on a limo 
you know, like uh, at this guy's expense. It's Takagi. A, yeah, Takagi. And he's brought in, uh, you know, up to this beautiful, um, you know, like waterfall encrusted floor. Office so, building. And he's entirely not intimidated by them. He's like, thanks. I appreciate the ride. Yep. Nice of you. Yep. You know, like he's just, that's who he is. And what's great about that is like you get everything you need to know about who John McClane is. He's he's anti-authoritarian, uh, but he's also like. But not a dick. But he's like, not a dick about Like for it. instance, Snake Plissken yeah. walking into that situation, and I know it's different worlds, et cetera, but like Snake Plissken would just fucking just rip into everyone he spoke to with a one line or whatever. But John McClane, while he is the equal amount of cool, he can also blend and sort of move just, between the things. He's just a guy you kind of want to hang out yeah. with. But there's an interesting thing, which is that I watching this film, I kind of watched it with a slightly different lens because I was thinking about the, where this film came in the, uh, in the history of action movies like this. Sure. Um, well, this was the first everyman action movie, right? Yeah. I really? Think, well, that was the thing. It was a re- the, the, the story of, of uh, how Die Hard came to be is really interesting. It's based on a, a Roderick Thorpe novel, you know, kind of a pulpy novel um, about a father who goes to visit his uh, daughter in a building and gets uh, held up in a terrorist situation, much like the plot of Die Hard. But it was originally going to be Frank Sinatra, originally Frank Sinatra. When they, uh, when they were initially pitching, the novel's slightly older, Frank Sinatra was going to be cast in the John McClane role. That was around the period of the Towering Inferno. Hans, you got to slow your roll. I ain't crooning. <laughs> New York. It might have taken place in New York. Instead. <laughs> but then once the film got into development in the 80s under, under Joel Silver and Lawrence Gordon, who right. produced the film, you know, like these are the, these are the heavyweights yeah, of action yeah, yeah. movies. Um. The, the the film went to Arnold Schwarzenegger. Come on. Sylvester Stallone. Uh, stop ringing that bell. Uh, Patrick Swayze. I can't do Swayze. Yeah, you can't do Swayze. Uh, it went no to, one puts baby in the corner. Richard Gere, Mel Gibson, Harrison Ford, Robert De Niro, Charles Bronson, <laughs> Nick like, Nolte, nah. Burt Reynolds, Richard Dean Anderson. Oh, Reynolds. Holy fuck. He wa- Bruce Willis wasn't even like, and I'm reading this off one of these, these well, fucking and Bruce things. Willis was doing what? He was doing Buckaroo Banzai and shit. No, he was doing Moonlighting. Oh, that's right. This Moonlight. was before that. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And the only movie he'd done at that point was Blind Date, mm-hmm. uh, which was actually, I remember it being not a not an unreasonable film. It's yeah, kind of yeah, 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 yeah. Um, my, so, so it was, you know, you were talking about action movies with big, extraordinary, hulking men. And then all of a sudden it got passed on to Bruce Willis, this kind of like, not, you know, prototypical action movie looker, Slightly thinning hair, you know, like older guy, wisecracking, doesn't seem like, you know, like what we're used to. And the movie, I think, blows up because of that. That's, 100%. that's, that's the reason it actually becomes a huge deal. Um, and then when I watched it, I was like, man, I like Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis is so fun. I mean, so now current day Bruce Willis is still cool, but he's that like quiet cool now. Yeah. He's that like, he's that like. He's a, mo- to me, he is a modern day John Wayne. Short now. Yeah. I, I think even, I think, well, I think this John film's, Wayne, John Wayne I mean, is this, harder. Film, this film is actually riffing on Weston's no, a lot I know, of time. and they talk about him. They talk about him, and I think. What are you going to do, cowboy? Yeah, exactly. That was Gary Cooper, not, uh, you know, not John Wayne. Yeah. Um, I think, I, I think now he is definitely a John Wayne, but he, I, I think it's interesting to watch this film as a paradigm of the Western. Um, you know, because I don't a, think, well, no, maybe structurally, I, but, but character wise, he's a hundred percent not Wayne because Wayne wasn't a smart ass. Wayne wasn't like Wayne was quiet and stoic. Right? Yes. That's I'm saying. That's what Bruce Willis has turned into now. Right. I'm saying on this, there's nothing, there's some stoicism, no, but I he's mean, witty John as Wayne, fuck. John Wayne in the searchers, he wasn't necessarily witty, but he was, 
He was biting, you know, like he, he no, had a line like, for it's every- It's different. I really don't see it here. I don't see the analogy because it, this, is, this, this is akin to more of a- um, who would, you, who would you place in the Western genre or even before that? It's, he's, he's definitely not Gary Cooper. He's not Cary Grant. He's not uh, James Stewart. Okay, he's not- this, is, this is what I think. I think John McClane and in by proxy uh, Bruce Willis yeah. is the natural progression of what the 80s action star was. Like you said, it was, it was Arnold, it was Schwarzenegger, it was et cetera. And these are these big, larger-than-life characters that would say catchphrases. They'd be like, stick around. Yeah. You know, and that, that sort of shit when he threw a knife he into someone. He still does that. No, yeah. I, I know that. Yeah. But what I'm saying is John McClane took that one step further. Yeah, he has some one-liners, but he has literal amazing banter. Like, he's a smartass. It's not that he's like, he's not, he's like it's not like Arnold, like, I'll kill you last, or yeah. whatever the fuck. It's now... He's saying things back and forth. He's having radio conversations. The radio conversations that, that everyone is having in this movie, every person who's ever written a film that a cell phone is in yeah. should take fucking notes during Die Hard because I don't think I've seen a film that has had conversations over a talking device yeah. been more engaging. Yeah, feel, they feel like real exchanges of power that are happening. You know, yeah. like we, we're, They're really listening and responding to each other. Yeah. I um power or friendship or emotion like yeah. there's depending on who's talking my some of my favorite moments are when John McClane is listening to other people have conversations, conversations over the fucking radio. Um I I didn't realize how much of a Bruce Willis fan I am, like a fanboy of Bruce Willis. And I was like then I was like thinking about it and going back through his catalog of films that he's been in and I was like there are so many of these movies that are actually like favorite movies of mine. Um so if we go backwards chronolog uh, chronologically, Looper, I think, is amazing. Looper's I love it. wonderful. Uh, Moonrise Kingdom, I think, is amazing. Yep. Sin City is amazing. Mm -hmm. Unbreakable is amazing. You're a fan of Sin City, though? I am a fan of Sin City. I'm okay. a big fan of Sin City. Right. Uh, the the Sixth Sense is amazing. Armageddon, I think, is is beautiful. Armageddon has a moment. I think it has or beautiful. had a moment. It's beautiful pastiche. I really like it. Um, even though it's kind of cheesy and silly. Die Hard is cheesy and silly, but kind of beautiful. Uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance, Fifth Element, Pulp oh, Fiction. Oh, Fifth Element. Pulp Fiction. Oh, yeah, yeah. Death Becomes It, The Last Boy Scout. Death Becomes It. Twelve great. Monkeys, and this is going to be, this is my favorite Bruce Willis. Is the cherry? The cherry sure. on the top? This is. Of the Sunday of your Bruce Willis Sunday? You're making a Bruce Willis Sunday. I'm making right a Bruce Willis Sunday. I don't know what the cream is in this, but, but, <laughs> uh, My favorite, absolute, I think this movie is a barrel of lies. What, you got any guesses what I think? Gabby Buckaroo Bonsai? Nope. Oh. Hudson Hawk. Oh, yeah. I fucking love Hudson Hawk. Yeah. Oh, would you like to swing on a star? Yeah. Gary movie. Yeah. I, yeah. I, uh, uh, um, Bruce Willis and Danny Aiello. I just fucking love that movie. And um, so I... The, the Bruce Willis persona, this is really the the formative Bruce Willis. You know, this is the creation of Bruce Willis. We're witnessing before our eyes. It's it's a similar character that he has in Die Hard. It's a, it's, uh, sorry, in um, Blind Dead. And it's a similar character that he has in um, Moonlighting as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but this is really solidifying and crystallizing what Bruce Willis has performed for the next few years. And like, you can see in later films, he kind of like tries to riff that up a little bit. Like um, in Death Becomes Her. Um, even in Moonrise Kingdom, The Sixth Sense, they're slightly different versions, but ultimately, I don't think he'll ever break this character. This character is going to live with him for the rest of his life. Of course, um, as it should. It's a good character. It's good. It's good stuff. Well, this is the thing. It was a good character. I do feel like by the time Five hit, like well, maybe we yeah, just, the character's great. Maybe they just wrote him like shit. I think they've ruined it now. I think you know, like if you if he'd kind of like just 
stopped at Die Hard with a Vengeance, which was a fluke. You know, the, to have a third film that good, I think it, I think this would go down. And I, and, I feel the same way, but with four. Like, I, this like, one like, I want. Like, I wanted four to be the swan song. I wanted for, like four works for me because I thought it was the end. God. And See, like we were talking before about trilogies, that, you know, like films that have continued on and, sure. and if they ever gotten better. Back to the Future stopped at three, and I think it's great. Mm -hmm. Terminator kept going. It sucks. Die Hard kept going. It sucks. You know, like, uh, what's another trilogy that just, they just keep making movies for? You know what's interesting, though? Fast and Furious. Keeps going. Keeps going, and they do get better for what they are. <laughs> I, haven't see, I haven't seen many of those. You're, you're missing out. You're half missing out. I, I think John McTiernan is the, is the unsung heroes of 80s action movies. He, dare, he directed Predator. Uh, he directed this. I loved, um, uh, he did directed uh, Hunt for the Red October, Die Hard with a Vengeance. Predator, one of my favorite absolute action films of all time. I think Predator is amazing. Predator holds up 100% today. Um, Last Action Hero is a film that I think is hugely underrated. Last Action Hero is, is fucking magic. And I remember when I was a kid, I hated it. Yeah. And and then now I want to punch that version of me in the face because it's, so good. it's very good. Uh, the Thomas Crown Affair. Um, now, John yeah. McTiernan had a... I, I really like the Thomas Crown Affair remake. It's okay. I think it's pretty good. Um, and the best use of Nina Simone... Uh, Ella Fitzgerald's cinema. Is it Nina Simone or Ella Fitzgerald? I don't know. Anyway. Um... <laughs> um uh, John McTiernan had a really interesting career. Basically, in 2003, he was prosecuted for hiring an undercover, uh, for hiring a private detective to like tap the phone of some of his producers that he was working with. I think it was on the movie Basic. And he was prosecuted and put in jail for it. And he in, stopped his filmmaking career entirely. Didn't it strikes? Man. Uh, he's still around. Uh, he, I think after that. He's he, out of jail by now, I'm sure. He's out of jail. He moved, to he moved out of Hollywood um, to a farm in Minnesota or somewhere like that. He's basically living out there. I think he's announced that he's going to do another project. But he, he, in my mind, if his career had continued, and I think maybe if he'd had maybe one or two more formative hits, he might be up there with like James Cameron today, you know, like may maybe not at that level. James Cameron kind of like transformed the world of Titanic, but maybe, but, but you know, like you love John Carpenter, for example. Oh, God bless. I, I have much more love for John McTiernan just because I know those films better. And I think John McTiernan is a director who, 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 who makes action movies that are fun, but never talks down to the audience. I don't think he ever like, I don't think he ever blows. There, there are bad films in his, in his, in his filmography. I think McTiernan. He did Rollable, which is like revered. That's as, fucking awful. You know, Some of the worst editing I've ever seen in a film. Right. Um, I think if you want to talk the difference between John and John, right? John Carpenter and John, John McTiernan. Uh, John Carpenter. They're different. They're different. No, 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 no. You know but you know how John McTiernan. Let me finish what I was saying. But just before you do that, I'm just saying basically. No, wait, you know before you do that though. You know how John Carpenter is kind of revered as like this guy who transformed horror. I think I think John McTiernan could be that guy for action movies. I think he was that guy for action movies, but I think so that the uh, a John McTiernan film, I think, feels entirely complete in its own, like on its own. It stands by itself. You could see Predator by itself, no other film. You could see Die Hard by itself, no other film, and you'd be like, "This is a great film." Right. I think um, John Carpenter was a sickening movie. I know oh, John God. Carpenter. I think got a little bit lost in his prestige. And I think that's where he sort of lost his footing. Right. Because when ghosts of Mars hit everything before ghosts of Mars is fucking brilliant. I, I saw ghosts of Mars in the theater and I was like, Ooh, boy. Uh, and then, mm, and boy. then, and then it just went to John Carpenter's vampires and all this other stuff. And it's just like, Quentin Tarantino has a theory about this. He says that every filmmaker, the last, 
Every, he he thinks every filmmaker has about ten films in them or so. Seven, and then it's done. And then and then the last he. This is why Quentin Tarantino is going to quit filmmaking. You know, he's got like two films left, and he says, "I'm quitting." That's smart because he's like, I think the like no filmmaker has made great films up until the very last. It's day. better to burn out than fade away. Yeah, I don't know. I I've I've. Uh, I truly been, believe that. Why would you want to keep? It's sequel. No, but we're, I, we're talking I, I, about even sequels that we were talking I think about. about. I think Quentin Tarantino is um, perhaps over overthinking his career as a whole piece. Maybe that's great. Maybe that's a good thing, but I don't know. I think more people look, uh, I think the best stories are the ones that end. Yeah. <laughs> and, and end on a note that you're happy with. So that includes careers. I mean, that's, it's, that's, it's, yeah. and that's not taking anything away from these brilliant men and women that do this shit. Like it's just, don't keep doing it just to do it. Right. And eventually, all it, look, time is going to fucking ravage us all. Right. It's uh, every, ravaging me right now. Every creative type, you you know, at some point, your work is going to get worse. <laughs> that's what it is. Yeah. So just like end in a high note. For, you know, I mean, that's a, that's a Costanza-ism. <laughs> uh, but it's fucking true. I guess so. But anyway, we're going a little off topic, which what? is fine. Let's talk about someone else. Let's talk about another man in this movie. Alan Rickman? Yeah. Uh, so this was his first, this was his feature film debut. I know. Stalwart of the British theater scene came on to do this one role. Fuck, he's so good, Hans pa Gruber. Passed away recently, unfortunately. Yeah, thanks uh, 2016. It wasn't 2000, I think it was like the year before. Right? Was it? Yeah. I'm still going to blame 2016. Because 2016 was a shit year. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, he owns this film in a way that like, and the thing is his performance is haunts Die Hard with a Vengeance. You know what I mean? Like he's yeah. so good in this that it actually creates uh, an echo in Die Hard with a Vengeance in Jeremy Irons' character. You know what's funny? And we're going to jump around in this mm -hmm. entire thing, but I completely forgot about the point in the film when they'd already been talking on the radio and like they know each other, but they don't really know each other. Yeah. And then Hans is checking on the explosives on the roof and they meet and he acts like a hostage. Yeah. I had completely forgot about that. And I was like, how did I, this is amazing. And then he like, he doesn't trust him. And he gives him the unloaded gun and like yeah. all that stuff. It was so fucking good. See, that's great. Like that's such a, a so great exchange mini... of power in that scene. There's so many, and I'm going to call them mini twists yeah. and they're not twists for twists sake. It's yeah. just like the audience. This is the thing. The audience, other than the terrorist plot, I'll say is in on everything. Right, we know what's happening. We, we know what's happening. We are the eye in the sky, and we're watching characters figure it out. Yeah. And I, that there's something, and that's a, a hard type of filmmaking to do and keep people engaged without the fucking mystery box. You know what's funny is- uh, And they I, pull it off, 100%. Oh, uh, yeah. Like I said, there's only two moments in this movie. One moment in this movie that I think is cheesy. One moment- in Which movie. one? What's your cheesy moment? Uh, my cheesy moment is the limo driver down downstairs who's been, who's basically, so John McClane uh, has been driven, picked up at the airport by, up, um, by Argyle, uh, by Argyle. He asked him to wait until, or Argyle offers to wait until he's decided where he's going to stay that night. He's not sure if he's staying at his <laughs> half ex-wife's house. So for half the movie, Argyle is completely oblivious to the fact that there's a terrorist uh, threat going it's on. It's comedy upstairs. relief. He's in the back of the limo. It's like, cause it has like a VHS in it and it has like all this stuff. And he's talking to people on the phone yeah, and like, exactly. they, you know, whatever. And he ignores it. And then, and in the second half of the movie, he realizes something bad is happening and he's trying to figure out what to do. All of a sudden, one of the evil henchmen from uh, from uh, Gruber's clan comes down and gets into an ambulance. Uh, and As their getaway vehicle, they brought it in in a truck. And Argyle suddenly puts two and two together and figures out exactly what's happening, drives well, his car the into reason a, he does, And then does like, 
a punch into the face. And I'm like, that that to me feels very 80s movies. Sure, like, but also, like, he, I mean, you want to look at it from a story perspective, Argyle was listening on his CB as well. He was listening to the whole thing happen. Yeah, he but, had it. He, there's scenes but of are him we, do we, are we, are, So the movie is making us, like, John McClane is a guy who steps up to being an action hero, but he's got the background in order to do that. Argyle is a kid driving a limo who's suddenly going to... With balls of steel. With balls of steel. That was the, that was the one moment I was like, ah. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll give it to you. I mean, I didn't care. I thought it was great. I just think it's it's a moment that doesn't really hold up. You know, like, I, I'm sure the first time I watched it and, and you're really trying to, you know, like back in those days and you're trying to get the, you know, you're trying to like wrap the story up and you're engaged in like the villains being caught and that kind of thing. I'm sure that moment probably was like, Argyle had his moment, but ultimately I think Argyle shouldn't get a moment. Eh, everyone everyone yeah. gets a moment in this film, and Argyle, unfortunately, is one who, you know, like even Holly gets a moment, but her moment is earned, and her moment completely makes sense. Argyle is the least developed character in the film. He's the least developed character. And, and this is the thing every character is really well developed. Yeah. Like, with the exception of Argyle, every character. Hell, even, well, even I, the reporter. I understand exactly why the reporter is doing what he's doing. Man, I and mean, he, hell, that's a, preface, a precursor to. To fucking our lives now. I mean, yeah, and that's the thing. It's it's a it's a very prescient role, and and you know, like that character comes back in uh, in the sequel as well, doing the same shit, and it it still makes sense. I, I love it. Um, every like I even think the the really smart thing that this film does is its henchmen. You understand the relationship between all the henchmen. Yep. So you, you got know, their tech guy. You got um uh what was the what's the blonde dude's name? It was Kyle. Uh, Kyle. Oh, yeah. Uh, tell Kyle's brother he's dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they didn't. Was Kyle's brother the one that was ho ho? Or I, now I have yeah, a machine ho, gun no, ho ho ho. Carl, sorry, Carl. Carl, Carl. not not Kyle. Um, <laughs> yeah, it it it's just you know like and and the fact that that McLean took out Carl's brother. Yeah. And then you know like because well, McLean watched uh, Gruber kill Takagi because he wouldn't give him the fucking password to the vault. <laughs> I also like. I really so the plot the terrorists have is fucking smart. Right. They, they So there's a giant safe and they want to get the bonds out of it. It's like six hundred million dollars worth of bonds, right? Yeah. So so there's multiple types of locks, and the tech guy's like, I can take down the first computer lock and then I have to drill through the next five. That's gonna take about three hours. And then the only so thing is maybe left, the duration of this movie. Yeah. <laughs> and then the electromagnetic lock is the last thing that he can't get through, and Hans doesn't reveal his last minute plan of that until later when the uh, FBI shows up and does quote every move out of the terrorist playbook and yeah. cuts power to the building, which will be the only thing that it can has to be done from the outside. And they basically helps the terrorists break into the last part of the vault. I thought that like, that seems simple, right? right. But like so many <laughs> doesn't seem simple. The way you just described it made it sound extraordinarily complicated. But, but what I'm saying is this, so many other movies would try to do something like this and fuck it up. And have fucked it. Like, it's just like... I think this is the movie by which that standard was set. Right. And and it does it so well. Like, yeah. there, you want to talk about sort of... And we were talking about it before about, like, the fourth one. And it's sort of the way it handles technology. Yes, I agree. It, it treats it like, a, you know, a 60-year-old you know, person thinks the internet works. But, like, the, the this is like... It's just... I, I appreciate in my Rock'em Sock'em movies... Yeah intelligence and yeah. everything in this film from a design perspective is incredibly intelligent. Yeah. You know, you, we have this conversation about what is fun in movies and I find this is an incredibly fun movie because I don't think, how do you like it then? Uh, <laughs> yeah, there you go. But it's incredibly fun because, and I, I think because it doesn't treat those kind, it's still trying to make a good movie and it's trying to entertain you. And it's not doing that at, at the expense 
of logic. Action is still secondary. Except, and, and for me, the only one moment is Argyle's moment. Um, the, only, you know, and, the, and then you kind of, the other, the other spectrum to think about it in is there's a line which the reporter says when he's uh, delivering his like epic, you know, uh, Pulitzer winning monologue, which is that Los Angeles has now become a city that uh, joins the ranks of other cities that have been terrorized. And if you're thinking about like, where the world was in 1988, you know, like uh, the major event I'm thinking about is the the bombing of the Munich, yes. uh, the Munich Olympics, the Lufthansa bombing. Um, the anxiety about terrorism being on American shores is like very, very much there. And this film exploits that to good effect. The thing that it does do that I that you could argue is um, problematic and interesting and uh, worthy of. Uh, devoted criticism is the way in which it sets up Americana versus the other. Um, you know, so the McLean is very much of the American tradition. He is, uh, steeped in, he is steeped in Western mythology. He is well versed in the idea of, um, what it means to be a hero. He is a, a, a father. He is quintessentially American, white middle-class, uh, divorced, you know, like, yeah, quintessentially only American. sees his kids in the holidays. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, and, and ter the, the terrorists are, but a good are, guy, the terrorists are a make a, a ragtag band of others. You know, they are, they're foreign, they're well-dressed, they're moneyed. Even the people that they're trying to attack, they're, they're Japanese, you know, like I think now other films, like a film like true lies, you know, which was like 10 years later. I love true lies. I do not like that movie. Um, falls into that trap that I think a lot of these movies do, which will date them, which is that it sets up the the enemy as this this sort of blank terrorist, you know, like blank but what, other. What Die Hard does great. Die Hard does it very, very well. But I think it's it, it, it's it's the subjects starting. it. That's that's what I like about subverts so, it. I'm sorry, yes, yeah. yep, subverts it, my bad. It subverts it because, so Hans is, most of the, the team is German, there's yeah. a couple other ethnicities sort of sprinkled in there, but you're right, they're quintessentially un-American. Yeah. And then when the people finally ask them, the police ask them what they want, they give this bogus list of like nine different yeah. terrorist organizations, people they want let out of jail. And even afterward, Asian Hans- Dawn? Yeah, the, I read about them in I Time I read about Mag it in Time Magazine. I mean, yeah. uh, like, it's this amazing thing, because you're like, oh, fuck, these people don't have ideology. They're just, they're in it for the fucking money and they're going to use, they're using their ethnicity to confuse. I don't know if it's their ethnicity. I just, I just like the line that Holly has, which is that after all this posturing, you're nothing but a common thief. And he, and he grabs her and he says, I'm, I'll have you know, I'm an exceptional thief. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's just, it's, it's, um, it, it, he uses it, like it, the reason why I'm okay with it in this movie is because Hans and his team use it to their advantage. Right. I, and the story, and, 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 and more so, the film uses it to the story's advantage. Yeah, I think, again, because you're expecting something different. The film is so well written and so well put together. It's such yeah. a well constructed film, uh, screenplay by Jib Stewart and Stephen uh, D'Souza, mm -hmm. um, that it's smart enough to to make, like, it does, they never feel like throwaway characters. That's what, you know, the thing with Carl and his brother, you know, like, it never feels like a throwaway character. Um, but it does, you know, like it's interesting because I Al think, outside, fucking yeah. Carl Winslow. Um, what, yeah, what yeah, from Family like? Family Matters. Yeah, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm blanking the the actor's name. It's um, what's it called? Oh, Reginald, Reginald Val Johnson. Johnson. Yeah, Reginald Al Powell. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, and it becomes an iconic character. You know, the guy who knows exactly what's in the Twinkies. Um, yeah. 
I, I agree with you. I think this film does it smartly, but it is, it's interesting to think about this film in the paradigm of the otherization, like the, the sense of like, this is America at our, in our home base. We're at the Alamo and we're being attacked by the other, you know, like they're very much the other. I think a film, um, that played with this idea sort of interestingly recently was Spike Lee's movie Inside Man, where, um, you know, the idea, you know, like it seems like a terrorist attack, but it turns out to be something more, uh, more nuanced than that. Um, and, and I think if you look at movies of the eighties and nineties, they did fall into, I want to say they fell into the trap of stock ethnic villain. It's hard not to say Muslim terrorism was not the scapegoat of Western action movies. Oh, 100% was. Um, you know, it's hard to say it was. Yeah, it was. I'm saying it 100% was a scapegoat. Yeah, I'm agreeing with you. Yeah, yeah, it's it's it, uh, the scapegoat of Western action movies. Um and I and I think, you know, like that's one thing to just look out for in this film, but I think this like you say, I think this film does it very smartly. Uh, and like I said, remember how I said I like True Lies? Like I do I, like the film True Lies, but I, I do feel like it's, it's a movie where it completely fails in this aspect. It's yeah. like, why do they call him the Sand Spider? Probably because it sounds scary. Yeah. Like it's just like it's eh. a stock villainy. Yeah, and I think and and the reason why I think the film holds up is that it's not stock villainy, and I think that's why I like um, Die Hard two and Die Hard three. You know, they, they don't. None of them feel like stock villainy. Die Hard four and five. I'm like, oh, what, what's it's it's all about John. Was it Timothy Oliphant was the villain? In- yeah, he was the computer hacker. Oh. You know, like the fire sale guy. God. Um, I think all of that stuff just really it holds up in this movie so well. It's 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 exceptionally done. Um, and you know, it. I I I don't. I can't think of many action movies that do it this well. Can, I mean, you know, not. Not of this genre. Again, I go back to Predator, and Predator has a lot to say about a lot of different things. Predator is amazing, um, but it's a different genre. Obviously, it's it's more. It, Predator is a more serious movie, even though it's silly. Um, I don't know if it's. I don't know. I think Predator. Let's say, let's Predator is more Predator serious. Is serious in the sense that there are scary parts. Yeah, Predator, but Predator. I mean, again, John McTiernan. You know, like mm-hmm. so it's a, he's got such a command. He's of, a goddamn sexual Tyrannosaurus. Oh, is that from Predator? Yeah, that's what uh, Jesse the Body Ventura <laughs> says. Um, I, I just think he's, as a filmmaker, again, he's never looking to show off. He's not the, he's not a techno wizard, you know, like trying to, trying to show you this cool shot that he's created. It's, it's really well, about yeah, story. Let's talk about the action now, because we've been saying how much, how great of a film this is outside of the action and how the action is secondary. It's 100% true, but the action in this movie is visceral. Yeah. It feels legitimate to the characters. No characters ever doing some fucking crazy mover thing that I, other than Argyle. No, no, no. But you know, yeah, yeah go ahead. That, it just like, it just, everything feels correct. Everyone's movements, everyone's actions. John McClane is scrappy and crawling through vents and trying to do shit and then being a smart ass with a dead body and like fighting with the chain and taping fucking guns to his back. You know what's funny about everything you've just described? Nothing feels, nothing you've described feels like a sit piece. Yes, because they didn't, the story, look, the story was developed, and then they're like, how can we get John McClane out of this? It wasn't like, oh my God. We need a, we need Now we need the vent sequence. Yeah, yeah. Now we need the unfinished lobby floor sequence. What's, what's interesting is that eventually the, the things that they set up in this film became iconic sit pieces. Exploding, the exploding roof. The exploding roof. Even, even the phrase yippee-ki-yay, which became his catchphrase, you know, became, a symbol for the movie. So it, I, to me in the 
second and third movie that Yippie Kaye loses its value a little bit because it's because it's yes it's self-referential and it becomes uh you know an icon. Yeah, but and the reason he says it is because Hans is calling him a cowboy. He's calling him a cowboy, which is you know again why I point to that West and why I think the film. Is I think that's the only tie it really has to because he's he's it, it's, it, it, it's it, well the, the thing about the Whiston is it reminds me of the Searches a little bit in the way that that film treats the other as well. I mean maybe I think the, as far as a Western, it's it's just. The dude from out of town coming and stopping the bad guy. Coming on, you know, stopping into that little town. Right. You know, called Nakatomi in, Plaza. Nakatomi Plaza. Uh, you know, in, in the Old West. In the Old West. I mean, the thing about the Western, the Western as a genre is the Western as a genre can be transported. You know, you could argue aliens is a Western in space. Um, aliens? Aliens, yeah. You know, like it's the last stand at the Alamo. Uh, yeah, it, but but the, the last day of the Alamo, it, the, I don't think that's a Western. So I mean, it is obviously it's a Western. But what I'm saying is that's not a definitive thing of what a Western is. That's that's just a that's an Alamo esque. That's a that's I, a Last Stand type movie. I think one of the arguments about in the in the academia around westerns has been this idea of frontierism. You know, like uh, westerns are ostensibly about breaking ground in the frontier. Uh, and protecting ground in the frontier as well. And I think... I think I, something that's more akin to a Western, honestly, and I know you haven't seen it all or, or most of it or whatever, is Cowboy Bebop. I think Cowboy Bebop is... In the title alone. Is, oh, but you know what I mean? But like, yeah. that is like, that's a space Western. Right. Even Firefly, Firefly to a point is a space Western. I think Battlestar Galactica to an extent. I haven't seen it, so I, I mean, can't there, say. There, there's an extent... I just like, lost a ton of nerd cred with you guys. I'm so sorry. No, the academic... You know, again... I wasn't um, apologizing to you. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> well, fuck you then. Uh, the academic you know, theory is that 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 science fiction and space, you know, space exploration movies are an extension of the Western. Yeah. Um, Although Star Trek, I would say is not, I don't know. You could, I, I think Star, Star Trek, Trek is politics except for Voyager, which is fucking weird. Does politics, like is politics a substance of the Western genre or is politics its own, it's, it's, own. its own ideological I think thing? So. Cause the, I don't know. politics is what you do after How you, is the Venn diagram of this work. Politics is the thing you do after you settle something. Otherwise, it's just settling it. It's but the West. But doesn't the Wiston have that as well? Like once you settle, like no, because it's got like a mayor, and then you shoot him, and then you're a mayor. No, like it doesn't. <laughs> that doesn't fucking work. It's not like parliamentary hearings and shit. I think it. I think it works. If you look at a film like um, Rango that came out a couple of years ago, which is yeah, which is a Wiston, but it has a lot of politics in it. It's the politics, and you know Chinatown. Uh, you know, like is but Chinatown's a, not a fucking Western. I think Chinatown, like, so there's nothing frontierish about Western. The reason I said Chinatown was because that Rango is a riff on Chinatown. Um, and I think. And they, yeah, okay, I can see that. You know, and, still, I, yeah. and I think the thing is, is that this idea of front, frontierism extends. I guess, obviously, if you, if you take this argument to its logical extension, anything could be a Western. But, but I'm th disagreeing with that. But I think that this film takes the iconography of Westerns, and I think it does have something to say about holding our ground and there's something about there's something very distinct uniquely americana about well that's what movie. i was going to say this this movie takes americana and and western and the john wayne type person yeah. is a part of that it's not the whole thing it's also the brash per, the brash like sort of tough guy that's yeah. also super quippy like it's it's westerns are about sort of like stoic power and you and you're standing against all incredible odds and yada 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 and yes there's aspects of that in die hard but die hard has another aspect of it which america is brash and it thinks it's the smartest thing in the room and it and it and it's going to let you know how silly you are forever doubting it like I it's 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 Yes, there's part Western, but yeah. there's part something else. It's 80s Americana, which it came from the Western originally, right. but now there's it's 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 layers. It's an onion. It's an onion, like an ogre. I I think I think the using the paradigm of the Western is just an interesting way to view the film. Um, and I think 
For me, with all the talk of John Wayne, I think it kind of works for me. But it does. But it, it references have. it. That's what I'm saying. It's it's. You're it's, saying it just references that it. it's not it. Yes. Uh, and I I think. And there's yeah. aspects in it because otherwise, why would the characters be referencing it? Of course. Yeah. But the fact it just because it's so on the nose, I think it's just a smaller. I think, piece. I think it's. A, I think actually, in fact, I think what you're saying is correct. It's a it's an adaptation of the Western format into an into a mod in. And calling, recontextualizing and calling it out itself, which right. is fine. Yeah. And, and I like it when movies, and it's not fourth wall breaking at all. I think it's no, just this movie does not. No, no, no. Any fourth wall. Um, I, I, I like it when, I like it when in a <laughs> realistic film or realistic, but you know what I mean, like yeah. in a movie set in our reality. Yeah. Uh, that it references things that people would know. Right. Westerns are, are, in this case, it's Westerns. Yeah. I don't mind it when people, even in movies that do it far less tactful than this film, reference um, a cultural touching point that characters would know and make a joke about. Like, that to me grounds it. Even even when done poorly, I'll take it. And this movie does it just fucking smooth as butter. Yeah, it's, I mean, I know we've kind of harped on about how good it is, but it is, it is, as far as the action film goes, it really is an important touchstone in that genre. Yeah. Um, I love, you know, other little details I love. I so I love the character building that that happens in this film with every single character, sure. particularly. Um, uh, who's the the swarmy sort of coke snorting? Oh, Harry. Ha- was it Harry? Yeah, it was. Um, hold on, I have it here. It is uh, Harry Ellis. Harry Ellis. I love. I love like Hans. Yeah, Hans. Booby. <laughs> Um, and that yeah. moment, that moment of tension when he, it's funny, you think Harry's going to be a scumbag, right? You think he's going to sell out John cause he wants to sleep with Holly. Yeah. And what she does yeah. want to sleep with Holly, but he's just actually not sure why as well. Not, not to say like, because Holly's he's a, the eighties uh, douchey uh, jock bad guy. Thing. Yeah. But, but I'm not like, she's a mother of two with a divorce. You know, she's like, also hot as fuck. Is she? Yeah. Is she? Yeah. Is she? Yeah. You don't, little little Matt Kroll didn't watch that and think that that woman was a mom. No, because you really? never see her, you never see her with the kids see pictures. But who cares? She's gonna be a milf. It doesn't matter. Oh, it's so weird. I I I I just didn't frame her in that. No, way. No, she is fucking gorgeous. I think I, it, she's a very attractive woman. Don't get like, me wrong. No, a hundred percent. And you know, are it, we having a conversation where we but listen, where, listen, where, uh, where we're asking the question, "Would you fuck her?" Is that what we're doing? Because I, I think our podcast has then but listen, but listen, jumped off the rail. This is what I'm saying <laughs> about her, and this is something I didn't like. Let's let's put it back in the rails. Let's actually let us be sensitive about some shit. Uh, <laughs> this movie does fall into a couple of shitty tropes of the '80s and the action movie genre, like random topless girl for no fucking reason because people are fucking in the beginning of a uh, in a yeah, holiday feel party. Very '80s. Yeah, it's like oh, there's the obligatory fucking tit shot. There's uh, also a very attractive and it's funny. Girl it's funny because airport. Yeah, yeah. And, but it's funny like now you look at it. And like back when I was younger, like that was like when I was 14 or whatever. Or, well, I saw this when I was 21. But when movies did this, yeah, I was always like, ooh. And now I'm just looking yeah. at it. I'm just like, shut the fuck up. Yeah, I remember like the in my teenage brain, there's a scene from Predator 2 where you saw some nipple yeah. that like is emblazoned sure. in, my, in my. Because it's the first time. I yeah. get that. But this something that pissed me off. So speaking of Holly, the character of Holly, as the movie goes on, her shirt, her blouse slowly <laughs> gets more unbuttoned. Not to the point of gratuity. But to the point where I'm like, why the fuck is this happening? Right, right. And and I was watching it, and and for as attractive as 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 I remember, even when I was like 21, or even now, as as I think she is, that threw me out because I'm like, motherfucker, like, why can't this woman just be fucking awesome and strong and attractive? And she's been that the entire time. And now at the end, when Hans has her by the arm, like her blouse is open, right. I'm just like, just I get, I get that. But I, I think the film also does a good job of like. 
You can see why her she has a relationship with John McClane, even though a hundred percent. Well, this they, is what I'm saying. They're, they're they, saying. They do a great. They her character is built and constructed with a lot of love and care, and then they do shit like that at the end, yeah. and I'm like, F- motherfucker, like, d- stop. Like, yeah. just fucking. It's a ca- just be a character. You don't need to go to the next fucking trope. Right. So I, I don't know. I I really I. I don't think it. I'm trying to think well, of the small things I had problems with it. I'm trying to like because there's not a lot. That was one. So the thing that I really enjoyed is again I watched this with you my hate mom. Argyle. Uh, I don't hate Argyle. I you just hate Argyle. His character is very much because like, he's driving a limo. I know it. You hate service workers. I, I understand. Do, I do. I'm. I have a thing. I. Can't, <laughs> I, I don't tip my waiters, people. <laughs> oh. oh. <laughs> um, but I, I watched this with my mother-in-law, and and I was like, I'm gonna watch Die Hard right now, and she was like, I don't even remember that movie. And then she was watching it, and the scene that you described earlier with Hans Gruber and John McClane meeting, when it started happening, she goes, oh, no, he's going to kill him. And she was like, oh, no, don't give him the gun. She started talking to the screen, and she was like, really? She was just like- Into it. She was just getting into it, you know? like, And you're talking about a a person who's watched action movies, dozens of action movies since then as well, but like just watching this one again, she was like, oh, I forgot that this was happening. That's a testament to character building. That's all that is. Yeah. Because otherwise, because if that was any other fucking movie that didn't take the care with its characters, she wouldn't have given a shit. No, she really, she really got, got into it. And that kind of, that gave me a special, a special thrill to, to watch her get into, get into it. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I think, I mean, we could get into final thoughts if you think that's if it's time for that. I mean, I think, well, but I think the, we all know it. Well, yeah, we obviously know. The the only other thing I would say is I um things that I like uh, little details that I actually thought were really great was like the the lit motive of uh, Beethoven's Ninth in this film. Like, oh, music. Okay, yeah. yeah sorry, tell them, I had a thing about music. Oh, just the way that they use Beethoven's Ninth. You know, like Hans is humming it once. Uh, it it plays in the theme of the film. Uh, 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 you know, in the in the actual score, very subtly, and then it becomes towards the end of the film, it becomes like a big thing. Um, uh, what did you want to say about me? I don't know if you noticed this, but in addition to that, in addition to a lot of the classical music, a lot of it was just super dark tone Christmas music. Right. Yeah. It was a Christmas lot music of it. Like, but like play. with, with like really low droning sounds, but it was still like, it was still, um, uh, what, uh jingle all the way. I'm trying to think of the other uh, Christmas. It's a Christmas song. Yeah, we hear yeah, yeah. But like, like three or four of them and it cycled through, but it's just like, and I'm like, this is fucking great. Reminds and that was another of, uh, reason why I, I, why I was like, yeah, Christmas. It reminds me of Johan Johansson's school for Sicario. You know, that really drone heavy kind of school. Sure. But with like Rudolph and Frosty. <laughs> um, and then, okay. So the moment before we get it, I guess we're going to get into our final thoughts in a second, but the, the moment that I think you could argue is the embodiment of the Christmas spirit in this movie. Oh yeah. Um, is I love that Al, every character in this film gets a story. And Al's story is, I haven't raised my gun because I once shot a kid. And, you know, they teach you everything in uh, in training, but not how to deal with a mistake like that. Yeah. So I've never raised my gun since. And at the very end of the film, Carl inexplicably comes back, got After a gun. being hung. Yeah. And, and the Christmas miracle that happens, <laughs> Al pulls his gun and fires a bullet straight into the heart of Carl. And and that's the Christmas miracle is is Al. That's funny. Al got to use his gun, so that's the only thing I could point to as like the spirit of Christmas. And it's a it's an odd spirit. Of, I don't think the. I mean, you could argue the spirit of Christmas in this movie. Again, that's a arbitrary framework with which I've decided that 
that defines Christmas movies. I mean, I don't and, know if I fully am on board, but yeah, I like if you're giving it to me, I'll take it. Yeah, yeah. You know, you could argue that the fact that John McClane survives and it keeps going from situation to situation and surviving, you know, is a testament to the spirit of Christmas. But I don't really think that if this is a Christmas movie, this is the atheist Christmas movie. Like, I don't think it's no, a jingle all the way is the atheist Christmas movie. Well, there can be more than one. It's turbo time. <laughs> uh, could you imagine Arnold Schwarzenegger in this movie? No. Really? No one but no one but Bruce Willis at this point. I can the thing is I can imagine it and I think it would be a lesser movie. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, like and I think that's that's the great thing that they do is that they use the character. The whole thing is subversion. Every, yeah. And then it redefined it because it was so good. But it's also you know, like they went through like ten to fifteen leading men for before they landed on Bruce Willis. And I think when they did, they were like, Okay, what are we gonna do to make this work for this actor? You know, and what and it didn't feel out of place for it. So I think it's I, I just think it's great for that. I I do love this movie. I love um, how how tightly constructed it is. Um, how how well it plays story before action. That's that's yeah. You know, and I, I, I agree. Mean, if you go back to the we're we're what eighty episodes into this podcast now. Uh, the very first film we did was Mad Max Fury Road, and the thing about Mad Max Fury Road, even though that is filled with eye popping, sure. I've done amazing things. It is story before action. Yeah. Uh, story drives action. And that's what's so great about Die Hard. And that's why if you love Matt, you should send him a Blu-ray copy of Die Hard. I mean, I Merry guess. Merry Christmas, Matthew. Thanks. Thanks for telling people to buy a gift uh, for me. And you should send Shahir. <laughs> uh, See, I did something because I knew you'd like it. I'm trying to think of something you'd like. Uh, you should send Shahir a Blu-ray of um, the trilogy of the guy who made Boyhood. Uh, before sunrise, before sunset, they yeah, just yeah. announced the Criterion Collection. There you go. See, it's on your list. So <laughs> that's what you should if you, do. If you want to like like us, you can get Matt the Die Hard trilogy and get me the Before Sunrise trilogy. Sure. Or you can just leave us a review on iTunes. We'd really appreciate that. I, I cut you up before your final final thoughts. My final thought is fucking Die Hard's the best, and you should watch it. And I, you know, the only problem with Die Hard I have is that I didn't see it till I was twenty one. Yeah, that sounds like more like a you thing than a That's the only thing. problem I have. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Um, Shahir, Spoken like a true Matt Kroll. Yeah, see? So this has been the only podcast about the film Die Hard. Shahir, when you're not coming out to the coast and we're getting together and having a few laughs, where can folks find you? You can find me at shahirdaud.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D. Matt, where can we find you. You can find me at a website with my name, MatthewCroll.com, K-R-O-L. Also a skeleton with the number four P-R-E-Z on Instagram and Emperor M-S-K on Twitter. Don't forget to check out OnlyMoviePodcast.com and write us in at OnlyMoviePodcast at gmail.com and tell us what you think of Die Hard. If there's someone out there that doesn't like Die Hard, write we, in. Yeah, we want to know about this. Person. And uh, and then we we'll call you Scrooge. Your, we will go to your house and oh, we will, tonight. If we, you're listening to this at Christmas, it's gonna be like it's gonna be like a, a, we're we gonna come get, down yeah, the we, chimney. Yeah, but we're gonna use magic. We're gonna use John McClane magic. And we're gonna sit you down and make you watch Die Hard, Die Hard Two, Die Hard with a Vengeance. Yeah, 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 yeah. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, guys. Thank you so much for. Uh, listening and for keeping us in your spirits even throughout this time of merriment and joy that you normally reserve for your families. I know. We're, we're kind of your family. We're kind of your film. We're your cinematic family. Your and cinema we, fam. you're Cinefam. You're Cinefam. Uh, and we're going to go out with a song about family. Run DMC's <laughs> Christmas in Hollis, which is a fucking great song. It's in the movie. And let's just fucking, let's go out with that. Happy holidays, everybody. Die hard. It's Christmas time in Hollis, Queens. Mom's cooking chicken in college. Rice and stuff and macaroni.
macaroni and cheese And Santa put gifts under Christmas trees Decorate the house with lights at night Snow's on the ground, snow white so bright In the fireplace is the Yule log Beneath the mistletoe as we drink eggnog